He cares for you. He values you. As a matter of fact, there was so much value on you that he gave Jesus. And Jesus didn't have to come. Jesus chose to come. He said, he said you know what, Father? I know you love them. And I know you have a great plan for them. So yes, here I am. Send me. I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do this. So Jesus didn't do it because he had to. Jesus didn't do it because God said, well, you know, uh, this is what I said and this is what you're going to do. No, Jesus said, said, I'm so much in line with you. We are so much one together that, that I love you so much because I love you. I love them. Hmm. That'll sink in someday. But when I really think the God of eternity, the, 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 the one he's thinking about me and has plans for me, when I take a look at that, what it makes me understand is he believes in me more than I do. He believes in you. What do you think you're doing here this morning? God believes in you. God wants you to do great and mighty things. He doesn't want you to get held back. He doesn't want you to get squashed down. God loves you. Man. And if you haven't found your purpose yet, you need to ask two questions. And this is what you have to ask yourself. And even if you think you've found it, you still need to ask two questions because you might not have really found it. Number one, what am I passionate about? Passion and purpose, usually, everybody say usually. They usually go together. Now, they don't always go together, but they usually go together. Because, and passion is the great energizer. That should be in your notes. Once you find your passion, what will happen is usually you'll end up finding your purpose. And once you find that, it's that, you know, it's that great motivator, that passion that motivates you to, to look for that purpose. But just because you have passion doesn't always equate to your purpose. And I'll, I'll explain that. Because you can be passionate about something and not be good at it. What do you mean? All right. Parents, listen up because this is for you. There's just this example. There's many examples, but I want to use this one because it really, really bothers me, but it's kind of funny. You all hear your children singing in the shower, and you keep telling them, oh, man, they sound so good. But you know they stink. And so then their friends, I don't even know why they call them friends. Oh, yeah, you sound so good. They know you stink, too. And so what happens is you try to get on this, this pathway that you found your purpose in music. So you go and you're practicing with this horrible voice that you're so passionate about, that everybody's lied to you about, and then you end up on a show for the tryouts for American Idol. You run across a guy named Simon Cowell or something like that, and he tells you the truth. You think he's crazy. You look at him funny. You're broken. You say, I just want, I need to sing another song. No, you don't. He already knew you were bad. But you got passionate about something you were not good at. You thought it was your purpose, and you wasted time and energy in something you were never called to do. I'm going to tell you, that's good. <laughs> and it's not just singing. You can fill in the blank. So passion does not always equate to purpose. But when you do find what your purpose is, you will always be passionate about it. So that means you have to have 
another area in your life to understand. But another thing you need to know about passion, passion sets us apart from others. It, 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 it puts you up it, because, because it gives you to, to believe things beyond reason. You know, when you're really passionate about something, I'm going to be the, in the NBA. Do you know only 1% of the people getting into the NBA? I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, I'm the next, you know, I mean, I, I can imagine LeBron James saying this and everybody saying, look, brother, you know how many people said this? But then they watched him in high school and they're like, ooh, snap. You know, I mean, you know, he, he, was, he was tough as nails in high school. You know, I'm going to tell you, I never liked the brother. But anyway, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. He's a great ball player, great ball player. But the thing of it is, is, is his passion set him above the rest. But see, he wasn't like a lot of the other passionate players who, who, who just was into themselves. If you really paid attention to LeBron James, he dished off to a lot of people and tried to help a lot of people out and raise them up. I'm going to tell you, he really was a great player. Probably still is. I don't, I don't really watch that much basketball anymore. But he, he was. But he was passionate about it. And what it did is it set him apart from other people. And that's what passion will do. It'll, it'll make you stand out and it'll help you achieve success. It'll help you to do things and believe things beyond your normal ability. Back when I was in California, I, I mean, I had multiple jobs in, in my whole life. I've done everything but brain surgery, but I'm working on it. Stacy probably thinks you probably are because, I mean, trust me, in my whole life I've always had like two or three jobs continually. Even if I had a 40-plus hour a week job, I always had another one or two jobs on the side. It's just something I've always done. So anyway, I'm working at Stater Brothers, I'm a youth pastor, and I'm a firefighter. So those, th those are the three jobs at the time. So I'm working there at Stater Brothers, I'm working 40 hours a week, it was a union shop, I was, my job was bagging groceries. Well, in a union shop, you get promoted based upon seniority. I'd only been there a week, and I'm in the break room with all these cashiers and all these people. Now, I'm making $5 an hour at the time, and the cashier is making $14.98, almost 15 bucks. Yeah, that was in the 90s. I'm telling you, it was, it was good back then. Anyway, anyway. So, I have all these people, and I'm talking to them, kind of like I'm talking to you right now. You know, I mean, I get excited when I talk to people. And I'm telling them about Jesus, but I said, I said, listen here, you need to know something right now. You're going to see some things happen in my life that you don't see in normal people's lives. Because you're going to see God do great and mighty things with me here. And I said, I'm going to be a cashier. Matter of fact, I'm going to be the next one. <laughs> oh, yeah, they thought the same thing. They didn't laugh at me, but they're thinking, you're an idiot, you know. Union has seniority. Well, guess what? In two weeks, the store manager came up to me, and she said, I want you to study your produce codes. She said, I'm going to make you a cashier. So I studied, man. I'll tell you what, I studied them, just like I studied the word. You know, I mean, I was on it. You know, I knew what bananas were. You know, I mean, I knew what they all were. I found out what a Roman tomato was. It wasn't from Rome. <laughs> Not even spelt the same way, but anyway. So I get all this, and I, and I get raised up really, really quick. I become a cashier. God speaks to me. He says, okay, I want you to go back to bagging groceries. Huh? What? God, 
$5 an hour, about 15 bucks an hour. Come on, God. You got, I've got a wife and three kids. Right? Well, anyway, I walk up to the manager. I said, Terry, I said, thank you so much for giving me this great position, but the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. He told me I needed to work on the bank. <laughs> he told me I needed to break myself back down and start bagging groceries again. And she kind of looked at me. I mean, she did it. But you could tell she thought I was crazy. So anyway, I'm going along. And I get to this, this other position where God says, it's time for you to quit. I'm like, what? He said, I want you to quit your job. So I'm looking for Terry. She's gone for a couple weeks. I'm going, thank you, Jesus. So I went to Mike, who was the assistant manager. And Mike had been with Stater Brothers, I think, about 25 years at the time. And I looked at Mike. I said, Mike, I said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. He told me I have to give you my two-week notice. And so I'm waiting for God, and it doesn't, nothing sounds reasonable. And I'm waiting for God, and I'm waiting for God. The last day, I'm waiting, on the la- and I'm at the last day, I'm like, okay, God, something's going to happen. I was laid off from myself. You know, I walked up. So I went to the, this baseball game. Britain was playing baseball at the time. I went to go watch them play baseball. And a guy I was in, with the fire department with, he looked over me and said, Rick, uh, I, somebody told me that you're out of work. He said, can you help me landscape? I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, because I wanted more money, you know, to take care of the family. I mean, the, re- the reason why I had so many jobs is I, wa- I have three kids. I, I needed, to, needed to make some money so we can survive. And in Southern California, you're not going to make it on five bucks an hour bagging groceries. I mean, right now, you're not going to make it on $15 an hour in Southern California. Just, it's just not going to happen. So anyway, I'm like, well, cool. So I start working with him. He's going through divorce. And as he's going through divorce, I'm like, I'm like, okay, God, you have me here so I can talk to him. So I'm talking to him. I'm oh, this man of God, I'm talking to him. So he gets all helped out, and, and then he comes to the end of the season, and at the end of the season, he says, he says, Rick, he said, this is your last job you're working on. He goes, I gotta let you go because the season's winding down. I'm like, man, what's going on? So I'm working on this guy's house, and I'm working on this guy's house. As I'm working on this guy's house, then what happened was this guy who worked at the house, or owned the house, he came up to me, he said, Rick, you're the type of guy the railroad's looking for. Do you want a job? Well, first of all, I said, yes. Second of all, I thought he was lying to me. But in two weeks, I'm working for uh, Southern Pacific Railroad, which is now Union Pacific Railroad, and I was getting paid more money than I've ever paid, been paid in my life. The first year was $67,000. My second year, I'm making six-digit numbers. And I'm running trains, choo-choo, you know, I mean, whoa, yeah, you know, I mean, it was fun. Okay, now back to Stater Brothers. All that to show you how God brought me along. It was a guy named Chris Detweiler. Chris, if you're watching, hey, buddy. And he was a meat wrapper, and he wanted to be a butcher. And he was in that room when I was talking. And the store manager said that they were, de- they were stopping the classification of being a butcher in the union shops. They were going to order their meat basically somewhere else, and all they were going to do was wrap it. They weren't going to really cut it. And so they discouraged him from being a butcher. And so they offered him the position of being a clerk. 
And he said, but I know that God said in my heart that I was going to be a butcher. It made about four or five more dollars an hour. And so he said, Rick, he said, God used you to show me to trust him beyond my reason. And so he believed that he was going to be a butcher, and he turned that clerk's job down, and within two weeks he became a butcher. See, when you, when you have passion, and you know what your purpose is, because my purpose wasn't to work at a grocery store. I See, I was also a youth pastor at the time. And, and I'd already been to one Bible college. But I had given my life so totally to Christ that I knew that my purpose was to serve him. But because before I'd done all that stuff, I was working at McDonnell Douglas. I quit McDonnell Douglas, which was, which was a great job, to go ahead and follow God in the ministry. And so I was holding down three jobs in the ministry because the ministry most of the time doesn't pay you well. People think that, that pastors need to be poor, but, but listen, pastors are the ones that are feeding people spiritually to help them, and pastors shouldn't be poor, but pastors shouldn't be like Bill Gates. I'm not saying that a pastor needs to be like that, but a pastor needs to be able to have the freedom to be able to take care of his family and be able to go to God. That wasn't part of the message, but that's the truth. Amen? I mean, my goodness. Well, that, why do you think I don't like to have missionaries here? The only reason why John Smithwick comes here is he talked to me. I don't like to have missionaries come in because I hate it when a missionary has to come in from the field and has to have a cardboard sign, we'll preach for food. I mean, he's out there preaching, giving his life, putting his life on the line, or her life on the line, or their family's life on the line, and we can't even do anything to help them out. And it, so we have to force them to come here and preach so they can raise up some money. My goodness. So they go back out. So what are they doing? They're working 24-7. I mean, look, when a missionary comes in, what we should be doing is we should, hey, what can we do for them? What can we do for their family? Where can we put, well, let's put them up at the Biltmore. Let's get them all massages. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's do something for them as a family. But, you know, the church, for whatever reason, we're, we just, well, you know, uh, that, that's my money, and that's my this, and that's my that. Well, then it doesn't belong to God. It belongs to you. I'll tell you what, when you turn the money that really should belong to God over to God, he'll take care of you. Man, I've turned, I've turned it over to God a long time ago. I don't worry about money. I mean, there there's a bunch of times I have no money in the bank and I have bills coming in and I'm not going, ah! I said, God, you knew this was going to happen. I need some wisdom or I need Jehovah El Postal. I need something. <laughs> you know, i, I got to have something, but, but I trust you. And I know when I put it on his plate and I walk away from it, and I just thank him for it instead of praying about it and saying, God, will you please? Yes, he, he will. So stop saying, will you please? Say, God, thank you for your provision. Thank you that you're my provider. Thank you that you're more than enough. Not only are you going to take care of my four, you're going to take care of more. So, you know, most people are my four and no more, but no, you're going to take care of more, and the way you're going to take care of more is you're going to give me more, and you trust me to start helping other people so I can teach them how to help other people, and that's what it's about. 
Come on now, this is good stuff right here. So, when you put passion to a dream, there's a lot of people that have a, unfulfilled dreams, but, but they, and they have passion, but when you put it to a dream, when you, when you put passion to a dream, then all of a sudden, you start, you start finding purpose. You put it to a dream. You know, and a lot of times what happens is, is people say, well, you know, God, I want an open door. God, I, you know, just, just give me an open door. Well, do something! You know, I, went, well, I remember going to Bible college. And I remember them telling me that only 3% of the people that graduate from Bible college ever do anything in the ministry. Do you know why? Because they get to the Bible college, or they get to the church where they're at, and they sit down and do nothing. Okay, God, I'm just waiting here for the open door. And 15 years later, you go back for a reunion or something like that, and they're still there. Hey, guys, what are you doing? Well, we're just waiting for an open door. Shut up. God's been waiting on you. You know, there's an open door right now. You know what? If you want to get an open door to what God's called you to do, you start helping somebody else in what God's called them to do. You want to get an open door into your purpose, and, and if you're a, a called to be here at Thrive, then you start helping me in the vision that God's given me, and God will open up your door. But if you're doing nothing, God's not going to open up your door. Now, you might try to, and you'll fail every time. And you know, a lot of times, what you start finding out, this is what's really funny, you start finding out a lot of times when you start helping somebody else in their vision, what God's called them to do, you start finding out that your vision was to be connected with them. And if your vision is to be connected with them, that means you're to do something with them, and, and then all of a sudden your purpose becomes bigger than you. But see, if your purpose is not bigger than you, then it's always going to be just about you. You know, the reason why a lot of people fail going into ministry is because they always want to be somebody else or do something. You know, well, i got to be this or i got... That's why people fail. Because they're trying to be a success. When I end up closing this message, you'll know what I mean about success. See, it's okay to succeed, but you'll learn some things about succession. You know, I remember... As a youth pastor, I decided to go to my second Bible college in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And I decided to volunteer for the church. You've got to figure, I was a youth pastor for five and a half years at a thriving church. It wasn't that it wasn't thriving. My, we pioneered it from the beginning, and within two years, we had 175 people. It's pretty good. The youth, youth was doing great. I mean... I started with no youth, and, and it just, I don't remember how many we ended up having, but it was doing great. But God called me to someplace else, and I talked to that pastor, and so I went to this, this other school, I went to Rhema. And when I got there, I was like, God, what do you want me to do? And I thought I was going to serve in the youth ministry because I had so much experience. He said, I want you to go work in the nursing home. I said, you what? And I walk into that nursing home, and I... I the urine, the vinegar in it, or whatever it is, it was burning my eyes. Ammonia. Thank you. I was reaching for the word. My heart instantly was breaking for these people in the conditions that they were in. What was God doing? He was training me to be a pastor. So then I'm like, okay, God, is there something else for me? Because I want something else to do, and I'm, I'm so excited. I'm already 
working 55 hours a week, going to school 15 hours a week, and serving in the church. So I have very little patience for people to tell me that they get tired. I do. I've been doing it for a long time. People don't know a lot of times what I do, but it's none of their business. Because if it was, your business would be all over the place, and you wouldn't want that. Anyway, so God says, I want you to be an usher. I'm like, an usher? Man, I was a pastor. What do you mean an usher? So I became an usher on the Sunday night crew. So Sunday afternoon, I'd go to the nursing home, and then Sunday night, I'd come back, and I'd, I'd usher. And, and I'll, it taught, I'll tell you what it taught me. It taught me humility. It taught me how to serve people. And it was something I really enjoyed doing once I started doing it. Because I was so passionate about being in the ministry, I wanted to do anything. And I, and I knew what my purpose was, but God had a journey for me along the way. And God has a journey for you along the way as you start trying to figure out, you know, where you're trying to get to. He's got a journey. But you know what really kills passion? Negativity. The Apostle Paul had this to say, and I actually I added this to my notes uh, last night. Um, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will always say again, so he, he's emphasizing it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident uh, to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray and petition with thanksgiving. Uh, present your request to God. In other words, he said, don't worry about what's going on. If you see something going on, don't freak out about it. Pray about it. Get the wisdom of the Lord about it. And it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. In other words, he said, you're not going to be negative. The peace of God will make you positive. It will transcend you. It will, it will change you. You'll be positive about the situation. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, he said, listen to me. He said, quit being negative. You think about the good things. In other words, you can control your own mind. You have the ability to set your mind to do these things. He, he said, I'm not looking for a wrecking crew. I'm looking for a building crew. But everybody, you know, I like to wreck things. Yeah, I know you do. God likes to build them. And so what we need to do is we need to get on that building crew. And then Paul, he finishes up. He talks about basically, watch me. He says, look at me. Look how I've done this. He said, follow my example. In other words, Paul said, I was not a negative person. I was a positive person. I did things the right way. I set my mind. So in other words, what we need to do to tap into our purpose, we need to help someone build a kingdom and a church. We our purpose needs to be bigger than us. So the first thing you need to do or, or, or in finding your purpose is to find your passion. The second thing you need to do, and this is why I said that passion doesn't always equate to person, uh, purpose, is you have to find your gift. You have to know what your gift is. See, when, you're, when your passion and your gift goes together, now you found your purpose. Because if your passion doesn't go with your gift, you're going to end up on American Idol and look stupid. The passion and gift have to go together. Come on now, this is good. 
I'm answering some questions on finding your purpose, on how you find this. This is a, this is a big, haven't you? Man, I wonder what my purpose is. Well, I'm helping you. I gave you, I gave you two of the biggest uh, clues right there. When you find your gift, this is what will happen, is you'll have an opportunity to use it. Because you can use it right here in this church. When you find the opportunity, then you will be energized by your gift. You will. And, and it's a spiritual gift, so you won't wear out. It's not your gift. It is, because he gave it to you, but it's energized through him, through you. So if you have to work it all up, it's either not your gift, or you're just not using it right. You need the manual for it. It's in the B-I-B-L-E. See, when you get into weakness and, and you're tired, then what happens is, 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 is you're not strengthened, and, and it takes your own personal strength to energize you. Now, after you find your spiritual gifts, then what will happen is you'll have the capacity to develop it. That means opportunities will come by, and, and, and you have the capacity, you have what it takes, because, because you're starting to develop some things, and you start walking into some things, and you have the capacity to do it because it's a part of your gift. Like when I was a kid, I, I, was, a, I was kind of athletic. I, I had really good balance, and, and so uh, I played a game that, that, that people say white men can't play, and that was basketball, and I was pretty good at it. But I, I was good because I, I decided to develop it. And the way I developed it is I went to John Wooden's uh, uh, basketball camp. I got to hang around with the late uh, John Wooden, Coach Wooden, and he taught me some fundamental principles and things like that. So I worked on it. You know, when you're shooting 500 th free throws a day, when you're, when you're doing 500 layups from the right hand and 500 layups from the left hand, and you're doing, doing turnaround jump shots at 20 feet, and you're, you're practicing these things on a daily basis, you get pretty good at it. So you put your giftings and your passion together, and you, and you get the opportunity to develop it, and then all of a sudden you get into the game, and guess what? You're really good at it. Well, Rick, how do you know you were really good? Well, I was, I was um, uh, according to the skin color, Caucasian. Some people say I still am, but I, I found out there is no skin color in God. Okay. So according to the world, world the skin color I have was Caucasian, so that gave me strike one. I was five foot nine. That's strike two. <laughs> I was one hundred and thirty pounds soaking wet. That's strike three. I should have been out. But there was a guy back then named Spud Webb, and he energized me. He made me think that you know what I can do this. Do you know when I was playing basketball in the ninth grade, I did not play junior varsity. I played varsity. I was a point guard. They had to double team me because if they did, I'd make twenty to twenty three points in that game. In high school, you're lucky to make five. I was very good at what I did, but then what happened is I got stupid. I let the passion go because I started listening to the world and I started listening to what, what the, the voices of the outside were telling me that you're not going to make college, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that, so I, so I quit. I'll be honest with you, it was one of the worst mistakes that I ever made. I made a whole lot of bad mistakes, but that was a bad one because it set up a domino effect for me to quit other things. So when you're passionate and you've got the gifts and stuff like that, because I'll tell you what, what that gifting could have done, it might not have landed me a starting position in a D1 school, but it could have landed me enough scholarship to pay for an education where I didn't have to come out of my pocket. Just being real. Okay, once you find your purpose, the thing is, is how do we lose ourselves? 
You have to give your purpose to something bigger than you. That's what Jesus said when you lose, uh, he said, you will lose your life when you follow me and give it for my sake and the gospel's sake, the sake of the gospel. Hmm. So when you take your purpose and put it into something bigger than you, then all of a sudden you start to lose yourself. And so this should be in your notes. When you are bigger than your purpose, you have a career. Hmm. When I'm bigger than my purpose, I have a career. Yeah, because when you're bigger than your purpose, what happens, it's all about you. The second thing in your notes, when your purpose is bigger than you, you have a calling. Come on now, this is good stuff. So the reason why you lose yourself is because of the calling. Because you realize that what you're called to do is bigger than you. It's more than you can do. So I'm going to give you four steps that I wrote down uh, late last night. Actually, well, about four or five o'clock last night, I think it was. I don't remember. But anyway, number one, you you have to decide you're going to make a difference. That's not in your notes. You have to decide. That's the first thing that you're going to have to do if you want to lose yourself. You have to decide that you're going to make a difference. The second thing, now that you've decided to make a difference, now you have to uh, make a difference doing something that makes a difference. You decide to make a difference, then you make a difference. In other words, you do something that makes a difference in something that makes a difference. And that, what that means, it's something of eternal value. Then the third thing was this. When you decide to make a difference, doing something that makes a difference, you've got to do it with people who make a difference. In other words, if it's bigger than you, it's going to take more than you, it's going to take a team. It takes a team of people to do great things. It's not about you. And the fourth and last thing here is when deciding to make a difference, doing something that makes a difference, with people who make a difference at a time that makes a difference. I'm going to tell you something. I'm 50 years old. I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to tell you your time is precious. I don't care if you're 20 years old. You don't have time to do something else. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're guaranteed now. And so what you have to do is you have to decide to make a difference, and then you have to make a difference, and then you have to do it with people who are making a difference, and the time you have to do it is as the time that you get together. At that time, you have to just do it. So the question becomes this. Do I want to be a success? Or do I want to be significant? See, there's so much that's written about being a success, but there's nothing written about being significant. Let me, success is when I add value to myself. Significance is when I add 